the nachos. No rain, nor wind, nor snow classico. Putting the high line with Rabbi and Red. Talking the rabbits and turning heads. With questions from you and analysis. In your car, in your home. Thank you for tuning to Holding the Hello, Rapids fans. You are listening to Holding the High Line with Rabbi and Red. We are sponsored by Acres FC and Roughneck Scarves. My name is Matt Pollard, and it is Tuesday, June 7th, 2022. The U.S. men's national team is going to have a whale of a first game in Qatar. Northern Colorado Hailstorm FC will be denting everything at home for the first time ever tomorrow at time of recording with their first ever home match against North Carolina and Rapids 2 are having some very similar issues to their first team. I'm joined now by a man who wants the cup, Rabbi Mark Goodman. It's good to see you, Matt. Everything's good. I got strawberry lemonade here, which uh, they had leftovers at work. They took home like four giant jugs of strawberry lemonade. My my daughter and I are quite enjoying it. And uh, the kids have field trips tomorrow because the last week of school. One is going to the zoo. The other one is going to Gettysburg, which is pretty cool. Oh. Which is like, except we got to get up at five o'clock in the morning to get him to school. But other than that, it sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. How long is that drive to Gettysburg, Mark? Because isn't, isn't it in like the middle-ish of the state? It's almost all the way to D.C., and D.C. is like about three and a half, four hours, so it's basically going to be a three-hour drive each way. So, poor kid, he'll be tired when he gets home, but he'll have fun. Okay, yeah. Um, good stuff on that. Um, uh, A-Basin closed this weekend, Mark. I was at closing day, so I was very, very sad about that, but officially, in my own internal head, winter doesn't start until i have to put the flannel sheets on my bed and spring's not officially here until or at least the there's spring skiing but summer's not officially here until i can no longer ski in the state of colorado and so that officially so for me spring official or summer officially started on uh yesterday june 6th so no fourth of july skiing at a basin unfortunately for me but mark that just means that uh, i'm gonna be pounding hot dogs and maybe a few other things uh at the tailgate early on ahead of the largest firework display in the state of colorado but uh mark since last we podcasted the u.s national team had one other friendly it was against uruguay it wasn't super impressive. David Ferreira continues to get chances and do some good things from the run of play, but was unable to score. A couple of individuals kind of stock went down and it was kind of disappointing given the lineup that Uruguay threw out there. And I think also exposed some of the issues this team has in terms of dealing with putting fires out in transition, especially when Walker Zimmerman isn't there. And Mark, uh, as we look forward to this, this Friday, the U.S. will be playing Granada, which is uh, effectively an academic game in the Nations League and then kind of a symbolic you know the final big competitive game before the final uh camp before the actual World Cup camp will be against El Salvador down in El Salvador at the Cuscat Lawn kind of ceremonial or a uh, symbolic in that that's where the U.S. started its World Cup qualification and a lot of the babies who went out there and got kind of a scrappy nil-nil draw uh Kellen Acosta hitting the post notwithstanding will have an opportunity to maybe show how much they've grown relative to that Mark what did we think of this what are we thinking about when it comes to the Nations League how much have we learned or not learned or is there just further confusion 
confusion now over who should be the starting goalie and further discontentment about what our striker options are. We learned that Joe Scally is a darling to USMNT Twitter, but there's a reason that Greg Berhalter hadn't really rated him. I didn't really understand why there was such a hubbub about him in the first place. I'd never heard of him. Um, I think the assumption that a team in Germany has your rights is is this weird kind of sense that, well, the people in Germany know better, and therefore all the guys in the German uh Bundesliga should be playing for the USMNT, and I, I think you know, that's not entirely true. You and I are, I, I feel like this is a a, a meta intellectual point, Matt. I feel like you and I are gonna wind up coming down in the same place as this because we generally come down on the same side with this overall issue. United States soccer fans are pretty much evenly split into three ish camps, right? There's pure MLS heads, which there aren't that many of. Yes. There's pure Euro snobs, which there are probably more of. And then there's kind of folks in the middle, right? And you're kind of in the middle, and I would say I'm in the middle-leaning MLS. But, like, everyone is on kind of a Kinsey spectrum uh, of soccer from pure MLS fan to pure Euro fan. And that's how people feel about guys like Joe Scally. And guys like um, uh, who shoot? Who's the uh, right back for Barcelona? Who Genio uh, Dest? Yeah, Dest and things like that. Oh, I would like, I would put Luca De La Torre in there, Mark, as well. Who who's a starter, albeit for a team that got relegated and did not look very good in the Eredivisie. But because he's playing in Europe, regardless of context or role or anything, he is automatically amazing. And Kellen Acosta is clearly trash because Kellen Acosta is in the prime age wise and hasn't moved on to MLS. I would kind of I would alter maybe my spectrum, Mark, a little bit in terms of the. It's not just the there's what your palate is in terms of the in terms of the buffet of soccer what other <laughs> sports what other leagues or continents or countries are you partaking in but i think in that that kind of defines how much value you see in it obviously there are mls heads who would argue that the MLS influence on the 2014 World Cup squad was extremely positive, and we needed those guys like a Kyle Beckerman, like a Matt Beasley, like an Omar Gonzalez, like Demarcus Beasley. Um, maybe Beasley was still in Europe. I can't remember. Maybe maybe don't include Beasley in that group, who uh, were extremely paramount and just their kind of scrappiness and like the old school MLS of like the they you know the the Kellen Acostas and the Paul Ariolas are the closest modern thing we have to the energy that Marcelo Balboa talks about when he said I would have paid you all of the money that I had to play in the 1994 World Cup compared to some of the other players that we have so there's some people who see value in MLS and think that it should be a part of the national team conversation and then I wouldn't I wouldn't use the term Eurohead so much as Euro snob in just immediately saying where you assign value and how you determine that. And maybe the middle cohort, I would say, Mark, aren't so much one or the other, but are simply their USMNT fans and like that is the majority of their soccer consumption. But it's not like they're like there are Eurohead USMNT fans that have appointment had appointment television when uh Christian Ballistic was at Dortmund. Those are the people who are the reply guys, you know, at Chelsea FC when Pulisic isn't starting saying, what does Thomas Tuchel, what is he thinking? He's better than Mason Mount. He'd be starting feeding this national team, all this stuff and anything. Those people are toxic. Um, 
I think most of the MLS heads at least have some level of health king understanding of valuing the players that we have in MLS relative to the ones that are valuable in Europe. And then there are other ones who just, no matter what, want to see the USMNT be successful, and they have their own form of unhealthiness, because clearly we should have beaten El Salvador 5-0 in the first round, not knowing that we were playing a bunch of babies and CONCACAF is its own beast but yes there there's cognitive there's a spectrum of other leagues that you play that you pay attention to and how relevant that is to your understanding of the national team where you assign value and cognitive dissonance and most of it is unhealthy mark and you and i are healthy in that we mute those people yeah i mean i think so the other the other question i have and maybe you can answer it for me i'm not entirely sure why ricardo pepe is completely dropped off the map i mean i was like he's not injured he hasn't scored in the bundesliga he's he's like played 12 games and has no goals so that's an interesting note but like i also think that um we were so excited about him you know just six months ago and now people are talking about like i don't know where we're gonna get a striker and it's like we we have this striker we just aren't talking about him anymore i thought that was i think that's kind of odd but other than that you know the pieces of this team are, are always fun to watch you know, Tyler Adams, Tim Weah, Weston McKinney, uh, Christian Pulisic. I mean, they played Uruguay to a nil-nil draw, and that was fine. Sean John had a pretty decent performance. Um, Aaron Long seems to be solidifying a spot at the back um, for this team, and, and Walker Zimmerman has proven to be the go-ahead number one. We have to just make sure that man stays healthy for the next six months. Like, absolutely. Other Or we've got big, tr- big problems. But this is a solid team. Um, you know, looking forward to Nations Cup. I'm not entirely sure why Nations Cup exists or what it is. Um, I, I, I mean, you can explain it again to our fans, but I still don't. What I'm, I'm saying it on a higher level, which is like, it doesn't seem like we really need to play a game against Grenada and a game against El Salvador to prove anything. And the other eight Group A teams are also like stuck playing teams that like aren't really that good. Um, the other teams are like. What is it? Uh, uh, Jamaica's playing Suriname and Mexico. Uh, Panama's drawn in with Costa Rica and Martinique. That's actually a pretty interesting group. Um, and Canada's got to play Curacao and Honduras. And it's like, why are we, why are we doing this? <laughs> yeah, um, I'll be honest. I don't know, Mark. Um, it's a uh, money. I mean, it's it, it, functionally it's more competitive as we're recording this, Mark. Uh, within twenty four hours of the first year anniversary of the United States beating Mexico, just down the road from me at Mile High, and Christian Pulisic with that emphatic penalty, and then shushing the crowd in the it would be it would have been the northwest corner of Mile High. But you know, it's more competitive games. Um, and I think obviously that has value. I think just the increasing issues we're going to see, Mark, I think hopefully in the next World Cup cycle or two is just how you qualify. And this has been an evergreen issue for the United States, but with what Greg Berhalter, Greg Berhalter is trying to revolutionize and change about this team tactically and the level and the way that we play, how you qualify and get out of World Cup qualification and CONCACAF does not translate well to knockout round game against Uruguay, Germany, England, etc. and everything. And so 
you know, that, that doesn't have as much value. It has value in different ways. I think there are, I think inevitably a World Cup champion eventually has to be in a game that is more like a bar fight. And don't get me wrong, the, the 2002 uh, World Cup USMNT would beat the living snot out of this current team in terms of you challenge the two, those two to a group, you know, bar, rollicking bar fight and everything. But, you know, praying Granada doesn't really have a whole lot of value. I think there are certain elements of playing against El Salvador where things will be scrappy that could mirror it with certain teams that they'll play uh, in the World Cup. If you looked at, Mark, I don't know if you watched uh, Wales versus Ukraine, but Wales didn't particularly care about having the ball. So, you know, I think it's going to be it's going to be two games similar to the Uruguay match in terms of scrappy team that's going to clog up the middle and then try and look to go on counterattacks. The difference is, you know, Iran is Iran. And then uh, obviously, you know, uh, Wales has, you know, Harry Wilson and uh, and Gareth Bale on free kicks and in transition as well. And then obviously it's going to be the reverse situation where maybe the U.S. looks to be a little bit more scrappy and try and press England, understanding that England's the powerhouse of that group. So there's just increasing more competitive games is good for CONCACAF. It's good for the other nations. Uh, I don't know how productive it is in terms of what the U.S. is trying to do when it comes to more major tournaments and everything. I, I don't know how this game against Grenada or this game against El Salvador is going to transition well to trying to get a point against England. Um, moving back to your question about Joe Scally, Mark, I agree with you. He has not been great. I would say over the course of these two games, his stack stock relative to what expectations or hopes were out of this camp was probably lower than what we would have expected and so if there's anybody who won in that context it was probably George Bellow and Sam Vines who were probably hitting Greg up on the WhatsApp saying you know hey remember me you're gonna call me into the European squad or the the camp that we have in Europe in the fall and everything because Joe didn't get it done and you know I think if Sam Vines comes out and he's playing well and Antwerp does good things in uh, European competition, he's starting every single game and playing that Vines back role. I think he's going to give Greg Berhalter something to think about, even though Vines hasn't really had a whole lot of opportunities with the national team, basically since the Gold Cup, and the Gold Cup finished on the day of the Gold Cup final, Sam Vines was still technically a Colorado Rapids player. To your question about the striker situation, Mark, I think a lot of this was just availability. You know, I think um, uh, you know, uh, I think a lot of the European guys needed a break in everything, and that European camp that they have in the fall is going to be all of the Euro guys. I don't know how many MLS guys are going to need that, so I think that's where, you know, you bring in a Ricardo Pepe, that's when you bring in a Jordan Peefock, those kind of other guys, and then from there, Burhalter kind of has the MLS Plus group that we have right now, and then the European group, and then somewhere between that and current form, he decides who's going to be there. But Mark, I said this on uh, Last Word SC on Sunday night, my other podcast, you know, it's almost like Greg Berhalter gets done with a camp, spins his wheel of fortune or his wheel of striker fortune, picks a different striker to come in and only see them underperform. So how much of who starts in that game against Wales is just simply going to be who's on form and not hurt with their club team and also who's played for the national team the least recently so that uh, fans and coaches are the least recently disappointed in terms of their recency bias against them because Jesus Ferreira didn't look particularly good and uh, I'm just I'm concerned about that and so on that note Mark I'm kind of wondering you know if Jossie Zardes just scores 10 goals the rest of the season and then finally gets that playoff goal for the Rapids and the Rapids get out of the first round and everything does that get him back in the good graces with Greg Berhalter is a question I have. I still think so. I think it's possible, but he hasn't been great for the Rapids yet. Um, so that, I think that I mean he's had moments. His 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 debut match and his first start, he both he, he showed a lot of things. 
But, you know, you got to put the biscuit in the basket or it's not really going to matter, is it? You know, so I think that's pretty much all that, all that there is to say about that. And also, like, to be really honest, like, um, center back and midfield, there are a lot of options because you need a lot of different types of guys. And, um, you know, that you're looking for specific skills Left-footed, right-footed depends on whether you're start, starting on one side or the other at at winger or at uh, fullback. Um, you know, center forward, it's really like they're only going to take three guys tops, right, and possibly two. So that's it. Um, and and in terms of you know who's in the depth chart for that uh, right now, I mean, I think like you know it'd have to be Jesus Ferreira followed by I don't know maybe it's Christian Pulisic as the second one I mean if people are talking about him as your as your go-ahead striker um I don't who I mean Ricardo Pepe uh, like I mentioned um uh, when people have been talking false nine mark it's mostly been uh, Tim Way has been the one they've kind of proposed there yeah yeah yeah. which because then in theory you get your best attacking players on the ball in the front three because you'd have Pulisic there way out of position and then in theory Gio Reyna on the right is the that's I think where USMT group thinks at, but I don't know. Uh, Mark, last question for me. Yes, no. Sam Vines gets called up in the fall for the Euro based camp. I will say yes. I'll say yes for the camp. Yeah. Yes. And and he's but he's got to show really well in order to uh, to kind of go to go to Qatar. I would agree. Uh, listeners, this past Saturday at uh, the University of Denver at DU's campus. Uh, their soccer stadium. Uh, I attended and watched my first ever in-person Colorado Rapids 2 match. They played North Texas SC. Uh, they scored in the first five minutes mark, and then they ended up losing 3-1. This is their 1-2-3-4 fifth loss in a row, uh, and it hasn't been particularly good. Rapids 2 just one win on the season. That was over Timbers 2 over a month ago, and then their only draw in their club history in competitive play uh, was their opening game of their existence uh, against Sporting Kansas City 2. Mark, I would say it's an improved performance, but a lot of things that I saw were kind of a microcosm of what we had seen, you know, if you've just been watching the games on MLS Next Pro, when the cameras actually follow the ball so that you can watch what's happening tactically, and then certainly from the various highlight reels that we've gotten, namely depicting what's gone wrong when they've gotten shelled with conceding goals. They've given up five to Minnesota United FC2, and they gave up seven at Quakes 2 um, just a couple weeks ago as well. They're trying to play very similar to the first team, Mark. I think a lot of the issues that they're having are very similar to what the first team is dealing with. Their only really consistent goal-dangerous attacker has been Darren Yappi, and so he's kind of been the centerpiece of their attack, and a lot of that is, about half of that is him creating things of his own volition, and the other half of it is maybe occasionally players being able to contribute and provide him service, but he spends long stretches being isolated and really not getting a whole lot of help in the attack. Uh, Most of the defensive issues and good chances that Rapids 2 
are giving up are when they try to play out of the back and they're just not sharp on the ball and they give away really bad turnovers in bad situations to then create transition moments for the opponent. We saw that against San Jose. We saw that against Minnesota. I'd say less so, but still not really great against North Texas SC. There was a really bad one, Mark. I'm sure you saw it a couple weeks ago from Philip Mayaka that I think kind of shows maybe where he is from a stock standpoint, given... Andy got dropped from the 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 lineup this this last match. He he didn't even rate to sit on the bench. Yes, that is correct. So um, you know, he's dealing with that, and the defense on the whole is kind of suspect, or it's it's been leaky in the same way that the um that the Rapids first team, the Burgundy men, or maybe the Burgundy boys, as opposed to the Burgundy babies, I've been playing around with a few nicknames there. Uh, you know, have just not been their usual selves defensively. I should say, Mark, a lot of the veteran leadership that uh, Rapids 2 wanted to bring in to kind of balance out a lot of the younger homegrowns. I haven't done a full study, Mark, in terms of the like how many academy players versus, you know, other, you know, veteran senior professional players that Rapids 2 has. What does that compare to the rest of MLS 2 or compared to the other teams that they have? Um, I will say... Midfielder uh, Yosuka Hayana has been kind of the one calming presence that they had on the ball mark, but a lot of times it's just when they try to build out of the back, they can't string six or seven good, you know, progressive passes together just because guys aren't sharp on the ball. Now, is that a talent issue? Is that just the fact that they've got a bunch of homegrowns that are in their first quote-unquote professional environment and these are just learning experiences? Uh, I think the jury's still out on that one but you know Mike Edwards was out with this game he had a bit of an injury uh, that doesn't look like it's going to be long term according to head coach Eric Boucher from what I spoke to him post game on Saturday and then they've been out without Dylan Cerna for a decent amount of time Um, I spoke with Dylan he was actually in the stands on Saturday and he's expecting to get surgery sometime very very soon it might have already happened by the time of recording and then it shouldn't be too long after that that he's able to get out on the field but without Mike Edwards Mark without Dylan Cerna at outside back they're really lacking kind of a veteran presence to kind of organize the shape and everything as they build out of the back and deal with transition moments and just have somebody who's calm on the ball who can take a bad situation and turn it into not a bad situation and they haven't always had Jackson Travis available as well who was injured a little bit at the beginning of the season he wasn't available for an injury on Saturday as well and he's very similar to a Sam Vines a Lucas Estevez in terms of being their main wide outlet to kind of relieve pressure and then also really get the ball forward in transition outside of uh, going over the top to Yapi or with Hayana in the middle of the park as well. Mark, what have you seen so far from Rapids 2, given that obviously I've seen them in person? What questions do you have for me? Yeah, it's mostly questions for you. I haven't seen anything except clips of them looking bad. So question one is, I think and I, you answered it sort of well, but um, you basically said Hayana is, is what's holding the club together. But, you know, Rapids 2 is does not exist because we want them to win a championship. We want to see which individual pieces on that team can be useful at a higher level. So Matt, despite all the dysfunction and the misery, has there been anybody on that team who has looked pretty good, who who looks like well they 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 have moments, they they show well. Yeah, so I'd say Hayana's in there um and then uh Dauda Amadou, I'm not sure how to pronounce that first name, you know, I think probably he- Daoud D-A-O-D-E, yeah. Uh, D-A-O-U-D-A, in any case. Uh, Am- Probably Dauda. Okay, uh, in any case. It's uh, an Arabic name. Yeah, yeah. Amadou was a uh, man of the match on the weekend. I thought overall he 
was decent. You know, I do. I will say from what I've seen, Jackson Travis has looked the part given that he's still a very young teenager and Darren Yappi has been goal dangerous. And from what I've seen, both with MLS from when he's played in MLS, when he's gotten when I've seen him in training and then now when I've seen him in MLS, too, he looks to have all the physical attributes he's built out. I'm not sure at his age if he's still if he's finished his growth spurt, he's going to know grow another inch or two. But he looks physically fit. He's clearly a Um, I'll say maybe not a veteran presence because of his age, but he's a competent presence on the field. And obviously he's been goal dangerous with the team. He scored the only goal from the run of play. I believe he still leads the Rapids in Rapids two in MLS scoring. Uh, And then he had, he did miss a penalty on the weekend as well. So, you know, I think he's showing early results. And I think from what I've seen from him in MLS two, independent of what he's done in training or what Robin Frazier has said, the fact that the front office and the Academy staff were so high on him and ecstatic to sign him under the circumstances they did. I think that's shown out. And I think if nothing else, Mark, a Rodriguez is getting a lot of experience as the captain and as the starting goalkeeper of, of organizing a defense that needs help, that needs confidence, and also is getting shelled to where he's constantly having to make saves. If nothing else, you know, Abe Rodriguez is uh, staying sharp in terms of organizing the defensive shape in front of him and having to deal with facing a lot of shots and then trying to stop them. So those are the players that I would kind of highlight. So Jackson Travis, homegrown, good, getting minutes. Darren, well, even when he hasn't been hurt, Darren Yappy getting minutes, scoring goals, looks the part. Uh, I definitely see where people in the academy talk about his potential at a similar tier of Cole Bassett and Sam Vines, where there's definitely the potential for him to go to Europe before his contract expires. And then Abe Rodriguez, I think, is a is an old head with young shoulders on a team that is still very much in his same age group as well are all players that I've been happy with. My other question and my last question, Matt, is um, do you think the problems with the team are, and this is like the most important question, do you think the problems with the team are tactical? Like they're not getting it right, they're not setting up right, they're not approaching uh, different phases of the game right? Or do you think it's pure talent that like other teams are full of better players and the Rapids make mistakes because they're not the guys that we have on this year's squad are not that good? I don't know. And I think the I think it's too early to decide on that as well. I remember having this conversation, Mark, it might have been last year. It might have been two years ago. I can't remember with Brian Crookham, but this would have been. I think this would have been after Ali the Raz had come back to the club and it was well understood internally that he was going to be given a first team homegrown contract. And I asked Crookham about, you know, you have age groups and everything, you know, Vines matured a little bit early. Um, some of the time that Cole Bassett spent was in uh, an upper age group where maybe he was still eligible for like the U-17s, but he was with the U-20s and everything. And then obviously they were very high on Ali the Raz when he joined the academy. They were high on him when he left and they were happy to have him come back after his time in Germany was over. And then Crookham and a few other people I've spoken to kind of indicated that the next group wasn't necessarily there or wasn't there from an age group standpoint to the point where there were still fruit that was going to ripen and be a good harvest, but there wasn't anybody who was going to be imminently ready. Uh, and so it might be another couple of years before we get that next big signing on 
the team. Uh, I should point out, I believe this was prior to Jackson Travis arriving in Commerce City and being in the residency program that they have set up here as well. So maybe Jackson Travis is that next one that they were kind of mm-hmm. waiting on. But I, I think certainly internally, Mark, it was an understanding that they were playing a bunch of kids to where the talent might be there. The potential, they believe, can be uh, achieved, but maybe in terms of where they were compared to previous homegrowns at that age, wasn't necessarily there. And so maybe it's just secretly, Mark, that they've got a bunch of 16 and 17-year-olds they're going to take until they're 20, 21, 22 in order to see well. And they've just gotten shelled you know, by North Texas FC, where FC Dallas is churning out 16-year-olds that are ready to go for the first team. But I don't know the exact answer to that, and I think we need a little bit more time for that to be seen out. And how much of this, Mark, is just a fact that, you know, they this is a team that's low on confidence right now, that's working their way through their mentality. This is an organization that is going through this for the first time, and maybe other clubs are handling it better than the Rapids 2 staff right now. And maybe this is just simply they got they gave up seven goals to San Jose it's been snowballing and been really, really bad right now. And maybe they just need one win to stop the bleeding, catch their breath, and then actually compose themselves going forward. I think all of those are equally plausible uh, scenarios here. Nice. I, I think that that's, that shows a, a fair amount of optimism there, Matt. And I appreciate that from a, a guy like you who, you know, it's hard to cover a team that's struggling that you, it's, it's young that you want to do good things and you hope that these guys succeed because they they want careers. You know, they really, nobody puts in this much work at the young level. These guys are at because, you know, they're just trying to like, you know, have fun. And, uh, they're just, they're just screwing around. Like they're, they're, this, this is, this is their future. This is their life. They take this seriously. So, um, hopefully they turn around. Mark, your last question was a really good point that I got some insight from Abe Rodriguez in an exclusive post game on Saturday. So let's run that audio right now, and then we'll come back to the show. Thoughts on the game, obviously. Yeah, the loss. Um, not the result we wanted, obviously. Um, but I do think the team was much better uh, the second half. Um, we concede a soft set piece school and um you know i think that if we don't concede that uh there's a chance we might stay in the game but much better second half yeah defensive structure has been something the team struggled with at times you know as the goalkeeper what are you and the captain what are you doing to try and help organize things yeah i'm uh, um try to organize as much as i can um try to give the guys confidence um try to boost them up but uh communication communication i think uh in the last few games, I think we are the ones that cause ourselves the problems. Um, I think that's the main problem, but uh, just staying concentrated throughout mm-hmm. the whole game. So would you say, I mean, we spoke to Eric midweek, and he mentioned that mentality was a big focus this week. How much of what's going on is maybe up here versus X's and O's? I think a lot. I think, um, you know, after you have a few runs over the last few games we've had, it, it kind of gets in your head, but, um, you know, you kind of have to let it go and move on to the next one. So mentality during the week during training is a is a very big thing mm-hmm. um walk me through your thoughts on what you were seeing and trying to do on the penalty i'll say your penalty not darren's okay uh no just trying to uh, um make the kicker doubt himself trying to make him change his mind but uh unluckily he he scored mm-hmm. um i 
I don't mean this in a vicious way, but so it, it seems like what you guys are trying to do is in many ways mimic what the first team is trying to do from a structure and how they're trying to play. Is there any thought that maybe that needs to be massaged for a confidence or a result standpoint? Um, no, no, I don't, I don't think so. I just, just um, like I said, I think, I, I think the last few games we have caused ourselves, um, the problems we our mistakes, and the other team is uh, capitalize on our mistakes. But um, you know, I think if we're cleaner, if we're concentrated, I think we can pull out the results. Um, how much communication are you having with Sharpie, who's obviously busy with the first team? Do you feel like you're growing as a player in MLS Next Pro? Oh yes, most definitely. Um, throughout the week, I'm uh, mainly with the first team, so uh, definitely growing as a as a player for sure. Welcome back, listeners, to Holding the High Line with Rabbi and Red. Abrod, thank you very much for your time post-game after another difficult loss. If nothing else, Mark, A. Rodriguez is a very good young professional and is a captain in terms of how he interacts with the media, the fans, and certainly carries himself uh, within his own team in the locker room and on the pitch. Uh, Mark, we've got kind of a question. So uh, most of this discussion was spurred on by my first game in person with Rapids 2, but then also from a tweet we got from Mark. Harrow asking about an Ask HTHL. So uh, Mark originally said on June 4th, I'm interested in what Rapids Twitter thinks about Rapids 2's poor season and whether it's indicative of a problem in the academy. Hashtag AskHTHL at Rapids96podcast. We quote tweeted that Mark uh, and then Mark H uh, responded saying, I think my main thoughts are narrowing down to being unsure if this whole MLS next thing is better than the USL experience. I know Joseph Samuelson had mentioned this too. I think there may be more value with USL coaches than the in-house youth coaches when it comes to our homegrowns. Mark, do you want to take this uh, thought point first or shall I go? Mm, um, I mean, you know, things, I, I think we talked about it a little bit of a while ago, but it's, um, it's worth, it's worth revisiting. Um, Things ebb and flow with the Academy, and sometimes it's a boom year, and sometimes it's a bust year. My take is that it's a bust year. Um, this would be a great question to kind of ask Brian Crookham, um, the development director. Uh, you know, I always feel a little guilty asking Brian those kinds of questions, putting him on the spot, because I feel like he feels responsible when they're having a down year. But like some years, we just don't have a whole lot of really great players. I also kind of really wonder whether... Um, this transition from um, the U.S. soccer, you know, uh, academy model to the MLS Next Pro model hasn't hurt the Rapids more than other teams. Like, I'm not sure why we would get hurt more than others, but um, there was just so much weirdness in the that transition taking place also during COVID that, like, there were these huge layoffs in major high-level soccer and the Rapids had a really good high-level academy team before, um, before COVID and before and during U.S. Uh, soccer academy. And now under MLS Next, we're not doing so well. So I, I think those are two factors that I I put into play 
Matt, what do you think? Yeah, I think there's certainly, there's absolutely value to young players needing minutes, getting them, but also having to earn them in a separate environment with a separate coaching staff, playing with men in a competitive league where the goal is to win. So to your point, Rabbi, I think you said a couple minutes ago of, you know, would you rather, you know, would you rather the Rapids win MLS Next Pro, whatever the, the, if there's a regular season trophy or whatever their equivalent of MLS Cup is, would you rather see them win that? Or would you rather they get nowhere close to any of those trophies, but then actually produce players for the first team? So if I can make a Fulham reference here, Mark, um, with the structure that they have in England, um, it's separate from the academies to where depending on how well your age groups do, they can actually move up and down the tiers, even if your academy isn't in there. So potentially, I don't know that this has ever happened but functionally it's possible to have a team that's in league two who's a certain academy age group is in the uh is in their youth level premier league so fulham has actually won that multiple times in the last couple years they have beaten the uh, i think they're they're separated geographically so i think it's a south and a north so like they've gone up against the same age groups for chelsea and arsenal and southampton and everything and they've been very competitive and one of the age groups actually won their league in the Premier League South and went undefeated. They were invincibles at the youth level. But then at the same time, you look at the Fulham players, even for a yo-yo team, even in years in which the championship, it's two, maybe three guys that are making it into the group. And the two ones that have been very successful have been Ryan Sessegnon, where as soon as the rap- as soon as the Rapids, as soon as Fulham got relegated, got sold as Tottenham, and then Fabio Carvalho is moving on to Liverpool right now to help refresh their midfield as well. So would you rather have the youth academy be productive but not produce as much as many players as ha- as you would want for the first team or would you rather the team on the whole be unsuccessful but then ultimately that elevates certain individuals to the first team and fundamentally you have a whole academy team because it takes a village in order to raise that individual we needed the entire u17 team folks and a bunch of players who were not going to get d1 scholarship offers who were never going to play a minute for the first team who were never even going to make a signing bonus as a professional soccer player so that there could be a team for Cole Bassett to play on to train with every single day and ultimately compete in competitions against other academy teams with a bunch of players who are never going to make it to elevate Cole Bassett in that regard so Mark maybe it is a down year but if it's a down year that just provides a platform for Jackson Travis Darren Yappi and Abe Rodriguez to eventually be productive players for the first team you know Saturday 7 p.m. in Commerce City at one point I think ultimately that has purpose but you know then would you rather have the in-house academy team where the academy players are going to be a little bit more favored to where maybe there's not as much internal pressure at winning in that regard and ultimately you're playing with that same age group you know I think it's better for Abe Rodriguez uh, to have to be training with men every single day training with older more experienced goalkeepers and earn I earn that playing time and maybe there are certain scenarios where it's beneficial to have to earn that playing time but get less of it than just be the de facto starter where there's no pressure in that regard and also no pressure to win in that regard you know if the switchbacks don't make the playoffs if they don't play well if season ticket holder renewals go down and everything Brendan Burke's job is not secure the positions of the players and contracts getting renewed or them making a jump to MLS or to another league are at risk as well there's real world financial and career pressures in that environment even if the individual academy kid is somewhat insulated from that because they're on loan uh, from the Colorado Rapids and so I think there's no doubt in my mind and I asked Abrod about this I asked Darren Yappi about this that right now those players that I've mentioned are 
having individual success are growing as players. I think the question is in like the Rapids or MLS Next multiverse, is there a scenario where MLS Next doesn't exist and then that Darren Yapi is coming off the bench for Haji Berry in the Springs, maybe getting less minutes, getting less goals, but learning from Haji Berry, learning from a professional coaching staff as opposed to an academy-born coaching staff. And is that version of Darren Yapi right now at 1718 is he going to be a better Darren Yappy by the time he's 2021 playing with the first team and so I think in that regard we almost need a couple years of this to play out for the teams to figure it out for the academy to figure it out maybe Mark for your point if this indeed just is a down year or a down batch for that group to maybe grow up and become older and either figure it out or some of those players to be moved on from and then have a younger better batch come in and then see be productive but there's no doubt in my mind playing games every single week, particularly in a scenario where penalties are more common, are helpful for Darren Yappy, are helpful for Abe Rodriguez. But I think Mark's question right now is a good point. I think right now for the individual, it would be better for Abe Rodriguez, for Darren Yappy, for Jackson Travis to be down in the Springs. Now you could argue then is having that whole group in a good position because then maybe that elevates a player who would be in Sebastian Anderson's scenario where his potential is maybe barely a starter on an MLS team and maybe most of his career, you know, Mark, I kind of feel maybe Sebastian Anderson is heading towards maybe a slightly better Dylan Serna. Let me know if you extremely disagree. Does having this environment to where he's then playing with his age group and that and getting more minutes regularly as opposed to not starting for the switchbacks, does that elevate him to maybe a Nick Lima or a, um, uh, you know, to a Nick Lima level potential in terms of in MLS play, you know, is what what's good for your individual players right now who are almost ready for the first team? Is that better for the first team overall in the long run? Or is it better to produce more MLS players if maybe that slightly hampers or delays Darren Yappi's potential from being a multi-million dollar transfer fee, you know, in one year as opposed to two years later going to Europe to help the team? But then maybe does he score more goals for the first team? That's the interesting like MLS next pro calculus multiverse calculus that I'm thinking about that honestly Mark I think we need to have like three or four years worth of data on this in order to figure out anything else on rapids two that we want to talk about Mark nope I think uh I think we've we've uh we've really covered that this we should be patient and also frustrated <laughs> yes yeah I think we can be we can be frustrated the academy is not being productive but I think we also have to give we should give the, the academy staff and everything, Mark, I think have earned the patience and the trust of the fan base that they're learning from these experiences right now, both in terms of what the actual team on the field is doing and then how Rapids 2 is existing within the ecosystem that is the club. And the club is going to figure this out in the long run. I think it's still a valid question of whether or not this would be better than having the USL affiliation, given that there's a lack of control, but then there's a lack of control in the macro, but in the micro at the individual player level, there's more accountability and pressure that may be better. And maybe it's not, maybe the answer to that question isn't universal for every single player. So maybe right now it's better for Abe Rodriguez to be a goalkeeper and a captain on a bad team in terms of his experiences going forward. And maybe at times it will be beneficial for certain players to go out to other places, maybe who are have evolved to where Rapids 2 is no longer valuable to them, but it would still be productive for them to go on loan at the USL Championship in ways that I would say 
It absolutely was last year for Philip Mayaka in the Springs, for Courtney Ford in San Antonio, for Ollie LaRoz in San Diego. I know obviously there's no affiliation there, Mark, at least the, the affiliation relationship between switchbacks and Rapids no longer exists, but I don't believe it's illegal. Uh, it's I, I believe it's still legal for you to loan players from MLS, MLS to the USL Championship. And so maybe that's something that the team will explore on an episodic basis. And maybe that'll lead to opportunities outside the state of Colorado for some players that are making that are still climbing the steps on the way to the first team. Last topic that we have on the podcast here, Rabbi, um, Austin Trusty. Uh, has a little over a month left with the Rapids. I'd have to count it. I think it's six games. It might be eight. I'm not sure, folks, uh, but somewhere around there, Mark. He hasn't been great at times this season, Rabbi. Uh, there have been goals that have been given up where he is primarily or at least somewhat significantly responsible for. I think it's a valid question whether or not so far he's been as good as he was last year and how much of this are other extenuating factors that we've talked about that have the team not quite firing on all cylinders so far this season. And ultimately, Mark, he is a lame duck player in that the Rapids are going to have him for the next month and 10 days, and then he's going to leave and he's not going to be here in the business end of the season. And he's obviously not going to be here for potential playoff games and for the long-term benefit of the club would it be better to start transitioning now towards that for the success of the season and the long-term success of the club or is he slightly still better than a uh mike edwards or a gustavo Viasina to where it's beneficial to have that marginal improve marginally better player on the first team right now to try and maximize the number of points the Rapids are getting in those games that they have remaining with him and how much of this mark comes down to maybe doing right by the player who's been a good servant of the club and getting him minutes at altitude to where he's fit and sharp and confident and focused going into, you know, trying to impress Mikel Arteta in preseason. Rabbi, what do we think about the, you know, the ever-ending Austin Trusty era of the Rapids and ultimately how the Rapids should handle it, given what they're trying to achieve uh, will have to happen without him? I mean, I think you play him as much as you possibly can, if only because you need him. Um, I think uh, we were talking before the pod about like who the Rapids are going to replace him with and whether they're ready to step up. And Gustavo Vallecia, I haven't been impressed with. I mean, I haven't been uh, like blown away by him to date. Um, you know, I, there there were other guys who who could do it. Um, but I think what you really want to do, I, I don't necessarily agree with the way you framed it in saying you need to play him as much as you can for the Rapids to set him up for Arsenal. I think the reality is he's got to go to Arsenal and either impress them out the gate at camp or realistically, um, Arsenal has pretty much already decided to uh, loan him out to some team in Belgium or Holland. Um, and they're just kind of like going to keep it quiet until that happens. But um, you know, I, I think Abubakar Keita probably would have been a more than acceptable replacement, but he's hurt. Um, Michael Edwards was kind of the long hope, but he's uh, not showing uh, to be quite ready yet. So I think there's, for me, the Rapids are just as likely when Trusty moves on to go to four at the back. Um, I think that that's probably the most likely thing, or if not... Um, they're going to move Keegan Rosenberry inside to being the right center back um, and then use 
some more wingery guys at fullback um, to kind of step in there. Because then you can get uh, a guy like um, Stephen Betashore or um, or Lucas and on one side and Lucas Estevez on the other. Um, and, and that'll probably work. Um, you know, uh, Mark Kanek has also played outside a little bit. And you can also mix it up and, and play around a little bit and see whether... There aren't a couple other guys like, for instance, Jonathan Lewis, who's a forward, but he plays wide and he's fast. Um, if you couldn't play him outside and see what happens there. Um, Barrios probably doesn't have any defense to, to do that. But, um, you know, there are some other options there. And this is not the last move the Rapids are going to make. They could also make one or two more moves. But, you know, those are those are a few ideas. But I think right now um, it's kind of a bummer in the sense that, like, Trusty's been one of the more reliable players on the entire team, even when we haven't been very good. There's a couple players who you could say game in, game out are always quite reliable. Jack Price always shows up and plays very well. Abubakar has had a, a mostly really good season. Danny Wilson and Austin Trusty. Everyone else on the team is like an open question mark, I would say. Well, Yarbrough also, but um, everyone else like on the team has been Matt's making a face. Diego Rubio is the one I throw in there. Um, I mean, we were complaining about Rubio at the beginning of the season, and yes, he's had a nice run, but I feel like he also had a whole year last year where we were kind of like, we need someone better at striker. Um, so you're right that he's been pretty good this year, but like, I'm waiting for the the carriage to turn back into a pumpkin with Rubio. Um, maybe I'm really pessimistic, and maybe I'm like going against the grain here, but I do think that like, Trusty's been really reliable in a way that I wouldn't say you could even make an apples to apples comparison with strikers, right? Agreed. Trusty's job is to put out fires and to be in the right place at the right time and make the split second tackle. Um, Rubio's job is just a lot harder, right? Putting a ball in a goal is really difficult. And um, he could, you know, he's, he's just judged on a different scale, but I, I appreciate the faces you make, Matt. They really, they really tip me off that like, I'm going down the, I'm about to be challenged and your challenges are always very good. You're the smartest guy on this podcast and next to me. There's no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think the I think you have to start to blood in Gustavo Viasia. Um I looked this up while you were talking, Rabbi. It's six games, folks. So it's uh, obviously uh, a week from this Sunday. Uh, so at NYCFC and then at Portland, home to Austin on the 4th. At RSL to finish out Rocky Mountain Cup, hosting Orlando, hosting LA Galaxy, that LA Galaxy game on the 16th, and then I believe it's July 17th officially uh, when uh, Trustee's loan will expire with the Colorado Rapids. So, I mean, you know, you've got some big games in there, Mark. You know, obviously, you know, you've got two tough road games in terms of we know what the Rapids are normally like at Rio Tinto, NYCFC defending MLS Cup champions, and then three really big home games, one against Austin, who've proven to be a much better team, uh, one against Orlando, where you'd think that that should be a game that the Rapids want to win, given Eastern Conference opponent having to travel, uh, where are they from a, uh, you know, an internal body clock, given that that kickoff would be at 9 p.m. Eastern, and then also Orlando, who don't normally play at altitude, and then obviously the LA Galaxy, another big game against Chicharito, you know, 
whether or not we think Kevin Cabral has woken up with what he's done recently in Open Cup as well. You know, those are three home games. I would say, Mark, the Rapids probably want seven points out of minimum in order to guarantee that they're going to make the playoffs. And then you'd probably take a draw against NYCFC. Maybe there's some extra motivation against Portland, given what happened in the playoffs here, to try and get a win. And Rocky Mountain Cup obviously matters emotionally, whether or not it cares. It matters in terms of uh, playoff significance by the end of the season. But, you know, I have to wonder. So those games are... Um, they've got some weeks off and then they go from the 4th to the 9th to the 13th. So that's in, that's three games in nine days. And then ultimately, uh, the 13th to the 16th will be a short turnaround. So I think there'll be some fixture congestion. I think that will be an opportunity to maybe have Viasia get a start or two, or maybe have him come off the bench and play 30 or 40 minutes. Doesn't necessarily need to come on for Austin Trusty, but I do think you know, on a per game basis, Mark, I think these next six games, uh, Viasia needs to get more minutes per appearance than he has off the bench so far this season or so far since being acquired by FC Cincinnati. Because ultimately, if the Rapids are going to make the playoffs and do anything in the playoffs, it's going to have to be with Viasia reproducing or doing better than what Austin trustee has as well. But I think I think there's enough fixture congestion and enough big games in this to where I think you'll need productivity out of both of them, both in terms of the immediacy of getting results and then in terms of the long-term health of the club in Viasia replacing Austin Trusty. And, you know, Mark, we've seen Robin Frazier kind of toy around with different formations as well. Maybe with some of this fixture congestion as well, it's an opportunity for him to go back and see, can the team be comfortable in the 4-3-3 again and be productive in ways that they were not against San Jose. And then I can't remember the home game where they struggled a little bit in that shape as well. I think it's a fair question still whether or not um, the three back is preferable or getting more players in the midfield is going to help stabilize the team given some of the issues they've had in the midfield. All of these are really good questions, Mark. I think we have some ideas as to what we think the answers are, but fundamentally, KSE pays us nothing and plays Robin Frazier a lot of money, and he's paid a lot of money to come up with answers to these questions. And I think it will be, uh, let me put a pin in us revisiting this on July 17th. I think, first of all, to maybe have a proper discussion about Austin Trustee's legacy and contributions to the Colorado Rapids. Also talk about how the Rapids have handled his final couple of weeks, and then look forward to, you know, the uh, the arrival of the one true God in Gus Viasia at the back, uh, in the back three as the left center back. Anything else, trustee, Viasia, or anything we want to talk about, Rabbi, or shall we get out of here? Matt, let me tell you. Our sponsors are Icarus FC and Roughneck Scars. Icarus FC, also known as Icarus Football, is redefining custom kits. With Icarus, custom doesn't just mean adding your club cover colors and crest to a templated design. No, no. Instead, a dedicated member of their acclaimed graphic design team will work with you to create totally unique kits and apparel that reflect your team's identity. All design work is included in the listed pricing, and they'll keep your design on the file forever. Also sponsor uh, for this program is Roughneck Scarves. They'll get a full ad read when they send me a bigger check. No, I'm just kidding. They'll We, we mix it up every week from one to the other, so it was nice to, to give a full proper ad read every once in a while, Matt, instead of me just randomly freestyling like I normally do. You, if anybody, uh, you know, has any strong opinions about how we should do these ad reads, uh, please uh, send me an email. Give me, give me some feedback about whether this is your favorite part of the show, or whether it's Matt's intro that that is, you know, honestly a, a lot more interesting and much better. 
Matt, tell them how to hit us on our written material and our socials. I got a new back pass. Tell them all about that. Yeah, listeners, uh, follow us collectively on Twitter at soccer underscore rabbi at LWS Matt Pollard and at Rapids 96 podcast. You can read all of our content at Pittsburgh Soccer Now, last word on sports.com backslash soccer and our Substack holding the high line dot substack dot com. You can view the Substack articles in web format. You can subscribe to us via email. That's also where you can become a paid Highlander, get all of our exclusive content that we have there, 5 bucks a month or 42 bucks for a calendar year. And that's also where you can get uh, Mark's most recent edition of Backpass, which came out today at time of recording, uh, and it looks at whether or not there's an issue of when the Rapids concede in games, and maybe that's a key to what's been going on with some of the issues with Rapids, rather than how those goals are being conceded. Uh, send us your questions on Twitter using the hashtag AskHTHL, like Mark H did, and maybe we'll dedicate a whole segment to a podcast in a week in which the Rapids aren't playing to it. And then if you want to get in touch in longer form with feedback to what we're doing on the pod, asking a question that takes more than 280 characters, or just showing your appreciation in many, many words, uh, you can email us at rapids96podcast at gmail.com. Other ways to support us financially, patreon.com backslash rapids96podcast, and for a really good deal on all of the digital sports content getting pumped out by the Denver Post day denverpost.com backslash hthl as they are ramping up for Stanley Cup finals coverage mark as the Colorado Avalanche are headed to the Stanley Cup finals uh and I'm sure Mark uh, the Denver Post is already looking into uh trophy gate I don't know did, did you see this mark do you know about this <clears throat> okay so when a team qualifies, when a team clinches the Stanley Cup Finals, Mark, there's a trophy for the Western Conference Finals champion and a, a trophy for the Eastern Conference Finals champion. Superstition in history says you don't touch either of those trophies when it gets presented to you. Normally, it's awarded by somebody from the league to the captain, and they take a picture, and then the, ca- and then the whole team comes over, and they take a team photo with it. And the big superstition is you don't touch it. It's not the trophy you want. You touch the Stanley Cup when you win the Stanley Cup. And so they came over, they took a photo, and supposedly, Mark, from the bench, Joe Sackick, who's the general manager of the Avalanche, who was the captain when they won the Stanley Cup in the 90s and then the early 2000s, he touched this conference championship trophy. And supposedly, he told Gabriel Andeskog and Nathan McKinnon, captain and the best player on the team, assistant captain, that they could touch the trophy. And so they had their hands on the trophy when the team took the picture, but then they were supposedly, Gabriel Andeskog was supposedly telling everybody, nobody smile. So none of the guys are smiling in the photo they have with this trophy. Is this significant? Are there statistics significant? Uh, is there a statistical significance in terms of when a team touches the trophy, doesn't touch the trophy, in terms of whether or not they go on to win the Stanley Cup Finals? I have no idea, Mark, but I'm sure Avs Twitter is obsessed with it, and I'm sure people that Ember Post are already trying to cover this as well. Listeners, we will see you next week. I may or may not have an interview or two scheduled, uh, but if nothing else, we will look ahead to the Rapids returning play going to the five boroughs to take on MLS Cup champion NYCFC.